Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Ben from DG University. Welcome back to the DG University podcast. You know, I wanna share a quick story before we get into this very special interview. And that's just giving you a little bit of context and a backstory here. So when I first got D, uh, got into DJing, I was about 12 years old. And uh, back then this was pre-YouTube days, so I couldn't just, you know, scour the internet for a bunch of video tutorials. And it was more like about Google trying to search up blog posts and trying to read different articles to figure out how to actually beat match and do all the, the various things. So uh, in this particular time in my journey, I was trying to master beat matching. And I had already gotten the fading down. Uh, I was working with a boom box on one side that had a tape deck and a CD player on the top, you know, one of those old school boom boxes. And then on the other side, I had a Discman, a Sony Discman. So for those of you who don't know what a Discman is, it's just a mobile CD player that you got to take with you. So this is again, pre iPod and, and iPhone days, right? And uh, in the middle, I had a Radio Shack mixer. So that way I could take the two music sources and blend them together. Now, again, I had already the fades down and I was trying to figure out how to now beat match. And what I had read on an article is you, all you got to do is just drop it on the one. So count, you know, just your bar. So one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and then drop it on the one after, you know, a certain uh, phrase or, or whatever you want to call it. And so I'd done that. I'd, I'd dropped it on the one every single time. And these two songs would start off perfectly in sync and all at once started trailing off and then turn into a train wreck, right? It kind of sounded like, uh, you know, two sneakers in the, in a dryer machine, <laughs> dried <laughs> off, just tumbling around. And so I would do that over and over. I, I, I kid you not guys, like over a hundred times, probably hundreds of times actually. And it reminds me of this, you know, quote by Albert Einstein, which is, um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So I literally went insane and I was so frustrated that I took my disc man and I slammed it against my bedroom wall and shattered it into a bunch of pieces. And I walked away from DJing for six months. Can you feel the pain? Can you feel the pain? <laughs> Cause I can still feel it. It's still, it's a, it's a triggering thing for me. Um, but anyway, so I walked away from DJing for six months, but I didn't lose the passion for music. So I still visited and frequented various uh, CD stores or record stores, because again, I was really into vinyl. Um, I was saving up for a turntable, but I was always looking in the crates, trying to dig for uh, different, different uh, you know, albums or, or different cuts. And um, there was this DJ that was actually spinning at the local record shop. Um, it was it was like he had a weekly residency. And for a while there, I was just like kind of trying to watch him from a, like study him from afar without making it super obvious. So I'd you know, be standing there trying to look through the records, but really I was paying attention to him to see like what he was doing because I was really trying to get this down. And again, DJing and, and the DJ education wasn't as accessible as it is now. So that's how a lot of us actually started was just trying to study the greats from afar, unless you were lucky enough to have a DJ that was willing to mentor you and really show you the ropes, right? And so um, this individual, this DJ, right? He actually kind of started noticing that this kid is just like, you know, kind of studying him from afar and peeping uh, everything that he's doing from afar that he uh, invited me over. And he said, you know what? Like, how long have you been DJing for? And, and you know, we just kind of, uh, one thing led to another, right? It was just uh, a simple introduction to then uh, full on conversation. And then over time, cause again, I'd come back week after week 
and he would show me the ropes. He taught me how to beat match. He taught me how to scratch and do the various things and how the equipment worked. And when I told him about my story about, you know, slamming my disc man against the wall and I just, you know, walked away from DJing, uh, he realized that like, well, you know, the only thing that you're missing is a pitch bend. That's all it was is like, you just needed something that could actually align the BPM or beats per minute of, of the other song. So that way, you know, once you started the song right on the one, it would actually stay in sync with the other beat. And so it was a huge relief, but it was also a huge eye opener of, wow, like this entire time I thought I was the problem when really it was the equipment that I was working with. I was working with just home stereo equipment instead of actual DJ equipment, right? And so uh, any of you that are listening right now, I hope that that's a huge inspiration because you may be facing some challenges right now. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it truly isn't you, right? It truly is the equipment that you may be working with, the environment that you're putting yourself in or, or whatever else, right? And so I'm super thankful for this person because um, he was the person that really became my first mentor, like my first DJ, official DJ mentor. I don't even think he realized it at the time. And the great part is that you guys are in for a real special treat because I actually asked them to join the DJU podcast uh, on an interview. And that's exactly what we're going to get into right now. How do you become a DJ and create an incredibly successful lifestyle while everyone around you doesn't even believe it's possible? That's the big question. And this podcast will give you the answer. Welcome to the DJ University Podcast. DJ University Podcast. All right, without further ado, I want to introduce you to my official first DJ mentor, Quo Virtual. What's up, man? Hey, what's happening, Ben? Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, for sure. It's it's been an honor getting, you know, just just getting to know you over the years. And it was really cool. We actually lost touch for for quite a few years, but we were able to reconnect. So I'm I'm super thankful and grateful. Yeah, and me too, man. Me too, for real. We all get busy doing stuff and it's great to be like, oh, all of a sudden you see that person is still there. You're still doing your thing, man. You gotta reach out, you know, and make those connections last, you know, as we get older. So Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know how they say, the saying goes is that there's always two sides to every story. I'm curious to find out what was your side, your perspective of, you know, getting to know each other. Well, you know, at that, at that time, you know, I'd probably only been DJing for a couple of years, three years, maybe. And, um, for me, that was a great opportunity to just be able to, you know, setting up my gear repetitiously, breaking it down. And then, you know, it wasn't like the busiest store. I mean, it would, we get maybe like, nine, 10 people max at a time in that store. And, you know, it was a challenge because I'm like, okay, these people aren't all hip hop heads or whatever. They're looking for all types of music. And so I'm, I'm going to try to play music that I like, first of all. And then also I don't want to like deter them from spending time in the store and making a purchase and supporting the, you know, the record store. So that was a challenge in itself because I'm like trying to DJ individually for multiple people <laughs> in the store, you know, you know what I mean? So you're kind of like kind of put a lot of thought into it and, you know, just kind of just tiptoe through it. And then once you find a nice pocket, then you're like, this is great. And then just keep that vibe going or whatever. But it's, it was challenging in that respect, you know, just to be like, okay, I have to be aware of these other people. It's not just me and what I'm doing and how cool I sound or whatever, or whatever tricks I'm working on. It's not like a drill session for them to sit and sit through while they're trying to shop. Cause that's pretty much not going to work, you know? So at that time it was like, this was great. You know, I, I'd done like only, you know, a few like professional shows, you know, uh, 
b-boy battle or djing for mc stuff like that so this is a great environment to just test out new new vinyl i got you know and just kind of have fun and have it be a more lighthearted, less stressful you know environment so it was it was great and so when you came in there it was you know it was obvious that you loved music and you're like oh yeah you know and i see him again here he is again you know and i was like well, i'm just gonna say what's up to him and be like you know you know what kind of what kind of mixer do you got or something i just want to ask you a general question because i figured you dj'd you know and uh yeah so it was just like it was fun to be like you know break the ice and like you know like if there's a stigma i wanted to get rid of it you know i yeah, wanted you to, be able yeah. to talk to me like a, just another person here in this town you know it's not a huge town so I was like let's get to know each other so i was just, I'm, I'm a pretty open guy really you know so yeah, I remember you're super approachable because, uh, you know, I, I tried to contact other DJs and, you know, our industry is kind of affected with with massive ego. And yeah, especially back then, it was all about like keeping the the skills a secret because it was your competitive advantage. Right. So you didn't want to actually create competition, you know, or, or, you know, empower the future competition to come into the market. Right. Yeah. And so I just remember, like, again, I was super grateful, but you're so approachable, uh, which made it really easy too. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't that many people. I mean, they were putting out like inviting type of, uh, you know, examples of it. It was, I mean, I, I des definitely think Qbert and like DJ Flair and D Styles and Shortcut and, you know, Mixmaster Mike crew in the Bay, they definitely were making VHS tapes at that time. And mm -hmm. it was mockingly teaching you stuff. I mean, at least you had the visual of what they were doing with their hands and that yeah, type yeah. of thing. But, they did have like kind of mock <laughs> tutorial things where they'd be dressed up in like funny costumes with masks on. You can't tell who it is. And they're just like goofing around, but they're counting beats, you know, and they're like scratching on beat and they trade off and now it's his turn. And, you know, and they, you know, this is kind of like comedy mostly, but inside it was like, yeah, this is kind of how we practice on the regular. And they were just sharing that. So VHS yeah, tips were sure. rare too at that time. Like you kind of had to know where to go to get them. You definitely couldn't just www dot that you had to kind of, either go to their record store in the Bay or know of a different record store that had them or just friends really. Cause that's how I got exposed. My, my friends, I was lucky. There was like at least, I want to say five other DJs in our area that were much more advanced than I was when I stepped into it. And so they had some of those tapes and just hanging out with them and scratching with them, you know, it was great. Cause I didn't even have equipment for, I mean, up. I think when I had equipment, that's when I was like, in the store DJing when I first got my own full setup. So it was like, it was great to be around those guys because they all definitely, you know, shared their space. And even when I did my first professional gig, I, I borrowed my close friends, you know, turntable setup to, to do it. And that was great. You know, I gave them some money for that too. I was like, Hey man, you know, cause I had, I got paid for that show. And I was like, here's that for that, you know, and it was just all love really. You know, they, they definitely knew that they were, more advanced, but they didn't completely shut me out, you know, because they knew that I had it in me and eventually I was gonna, you know, add to the circle just like everyone else. So it was it was a good good time back then, you know. So yeah. You know, seeing you, I just treated you the same as I, they treated me, honestly. Oh, and, so that's and I cool, wasn't man. like trying so you already to had that experience, yeah. Just a little, yeah, a little bit, you know, even though I was like really kind of you know insecure about it too, because gosh, once you once you saw the body of people that were DJing in the nineties especially the battle DJs and scratchy DJs, they were just like eons past, like oh, anyone, yeah, anyone in my friend circle, like they were way better than any other one in my friend circle. So I was like, dang, this is like pretty, you know, it was like, it was, it was inspiring because it was so hard and challenging. You know, it's like, okay, so there's tons of room for growth. If I keep going, 
I'm definitely, and I knew I was grasping small concepts just on my own. It was like bound to give me more if I kept putting my time in it. So yeah, obviously five to five to six, seven hours a day for like my first four or five years. I'm every day, like no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. For you who's listening, just to give your perspective, uh, Ty really comes from that turntablist background. That's what he's, he's referring to is, you know, really breaking down these, these, you know, techniques and these routines and, you know, studying the greats in the battle uh, scene. So I remember Thud Rumble, right? Thud Rumble yeah, were, Thud were the Rumble. tapes that came out. They were out. king. Yeah, they were king on the West Coast for sure. I mean, because they definitely sure. had the capital to produce those VHS tapes and battle records and things like that and then show up and host host events and be at battles and things. So it's like they were definitely like the top tier, you know, for West Coast DJs. And they still are in most respects, you know, some beat junkies too, like, those guys, you know, definitely holding down, you know, the whole turntable. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Whole turntable scene was like based off of them really. So So give me a little bit of insight on, you know, how you were able to get in, involved with the industry and, you know, kind of learn the ropes. It sounds like you had a lot of friends that were were DJs that were willing to share the knowledge with you. Yeah. What originally inspired you to become a DJ though? Personally, it was my up, upbringing. I mean, I grew up in a, a audiophile type household. My father was definitely in the hi-fi. Like as soon as like the RCA left and right stereo phonics came out, mm-hmm. he had already been saving money and reading about it months prior to that. And then when it came out, he was like, "Get!" He got it, and he was you know all about that. He had like very expensive turntables and speakers. You know, I, I grew up in Detroit. So it was like, we lived in a pretty nice neighborhood, but it wasn't, it was still like in the, in the ghetto, so to speak, Uh, you know, east side of Detroit, southeast side of Detroit. Um, And it was like definitely a big deal that he had that equipment. You know, he had these speakers are called Magnapans and they're about six feet tall, very thin. If you ever seen like 2001, it looked like the monolith. You know, mm. so we had two of those for left and right. And um, so they're ribbon-based technology in the speaker. So no cones. Um, and they had like a subwoofer in the back, you know, that was fairly heavy and pushed around with a, you know, the turntable was pushed around with an air pump. It was a marble turntable mm. with a lead platter. Okay. Diamond needle, gold moving parts. And it was pushed around with the air compressor <laughs> way in the other room because it was so heavy. I think the wow. turntable probably weighed like 300 pounds. And he had it on a stand called a lead balloon. Um, anyway, so I grew up, I grew up with that and he loved music from the way it was recorded. So he had tons of records and all types of music, not just one style. It was more about um, getting music from the, you know, the studio it came out of you know, where it was recorded. So the sound quality and output. Because when you deal with hi-fi and all that, when you set it up properly in your listening space and you're sitting down in this one section that is just like the sweet spot, it basically, for live recordings, it'll emulate the musicians in the room. So the sound's not coming out of the speakers, so to speak. It's coming out of places in the room. Mm. So it was this mathematical equation that I grew up with music and just his love for it. You know, he just did it for his head. Cause he worked hard. He was a cement truck driver. He didn't live a glamorous life whatsoever and died young. But during that time, he spent most of the time listening to music and sharing it with friends and family. And it was like something he did on the weekends pretty much consistently, you know? So I was around that growing up. And so I just always loved music and it, it hit me 
into my soul like no problem i didn't know had didn't have to think about it much it was like man i, I really like music and, and so you know i bought cds and tapes and stuff as a kid but you know when i first i think it was when i first got out to the west coast and i saw like a dj as a young adult i just looked at the equipment i was like i i want that you know <laughs> i want that really bad and i didn't want anything really that mm -hmm. much at that time but that's <laughs> one thing i did want and you know it took a lot you know to uh save up and become stable enough to have a play, place of my own to have it all and you know so yeah it was like a long journey you know but getting started was pretty pretty tough you know so yeah. I had to live off of yeah live off of like you know ramen noodles and canned foods and whatever as i saved and saved and saved and i didn't even open up my first turntable until i got my second turntable and my mixer and then i set it all up so it was mm. like this patience and dedication type of thing and it yeah for me, sure probably took me a half a year really not that long but you know yeah <laughs> and how much longer until you performed for real? i well i think the first time i dj'd really without my own gear was probably i think it was 1998 and then i uh i did like a new year's party for the new year's that year and then um still didn't have one my own set I had a real professional gig coming up um because i met a friend of mine his name is mr liff um he dj or excuse me he produces and he raps um he is currently on tour with like thievery corporation uh, doing global events and stuff but um i had uh heard he was playing in the bay and my friends were all excited because he was an up-and-coming mc no one really knew about him but his vinyl was out and so we we heard his music and we're like this guy has lyrical styles that were far surpassing anything that we had, we had heard he was like i mean everyone thought he was like way up there especially for being such a new artist right so we're excited to go see him in the bay and so it was like multiple cars went down from here you know it's like five hour drive anyway some people got there first and they met up with him at the amoeba record store and uh got to talk to him and lp and you know cannibal ox aesop rock all those guys so they yeah. were just yeah def yeah definitive jux crew so they were down there hanging out, telling you know, telling them, hey, our, our buddies, you know, me and State of Mind were coming down, and and uh, we should meet up. And like, oh, great! And so I mean, he had me on the guest list, and my friend, and, and so we got to the I think it was American Music Hall or the the venue was exactly, but had us you know VIP'd into the event and you know shook his hand. We met him, took me backstage. We're just talking and just became fast friends, like it was like instant friends with this guy yeah, just clicked. And yeah he was yeah he was from manhattan or whatever that's where the record label's from so we were just so excited he was in california we're like wow this is amazing anyway so we had a great show and this netty we exchanged info and um probably about less than a month later i was just walking down the street from my job um and i saw my friend uh, levi was hanging up a poster for de la soul was coming to town and he was like hey you know, you're going to come to the show. And I was like, oh, of course. I love Bayla. So it was like one of my favorite rap groups. Like, oh, are you kidding me? I can't believe they're coming to this, you know, small venue. This is awesome. It's going to be great. And I asked him, I was like, hey, do you have an opening act? He's like, no, we don't. Actually, I was like, hey, well, I I got a buddy. You know, have you heard of Mr. Liff? He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, Mr. Liff? I was like, yeah, I know him. You know, he was kind of elusive. You know what I mean? He was kind of a kind of a big deal really back then and uh yeah, yeah yeah i was like dude yeah i'll give him a call right now you know and when i get back to my my office and i'll you know see what he's doing and and he was all about it you know he was like well you he asked me he's like well will you hold me down on the ones and twos and i was like yes of course 
you know, and I, I didn't even have turntables at the time, but I called my friend immediately. Hey, can I you know, borrow your turntables yeah. <laughs> this event? Just to secure it. And I was like, dude, yeah, it's on. Yeah, he for sure did it. And so we came up and that was my first professional gig. And I had all my friends. I believe I got you into that event too. Weren't you there, Ben? Possibly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got they me into quite a few. I mean, dude, I felt like I tried to get every one of my friends in there. To yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so everyone I knew was in the you know the, the crowd, and it was like kind of an emotional thing, you know, because he, he his DJ set for me was like so easily laid out. It's pretty much oh, a couple verses here, you know, a verse for this one. We're gonna flip it and play this other you know other instrumental instead of the original to make it different, whatever. And yeah. I just I just wrote it all down, and it went so smoothly. We rocked the house. I mean, it was it was it was amazing, you know, because looking out, it was like the completely sold out, packed venue there and uh that was the first time you know really that i felt like i really dj'd you know like, yeah in, in the form of hip-hop you know because i'm just serving my i'm doing the role for him to really just he's very good uh mc and has great charisma on the mic and he's funny and stuff so it was like such a fast moving show it, was, it went great got a couple angles of vhs recording of that one <laughs> too mm, before nice. digital cams yeah no <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah 2001, man, it, it, it was like so futuristic too back then just to see that happen. He was an Ivy League dropout and just flipped and chose to be an MC at that point. And he's still doing it now, you know, so. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, you've shared, you know, that was your beginning, but you've that's shared some stages with some really big acts, right? You've also traveled, you've done some, some big things. Um, for the listener out there right now, that DJ that is looking to get more into that style of DJing, right? Because there's there's so many facets that we can pursue. We can become radio DJs, mobile DJs, nightclub, you know, festival DJs. Um, but for the the festival slash concert DJ specifically, do you have any pointers to give on what you learned? It's it's like I guess the main thing is like the community. So I mean if you need to like reach out in your community, find out who's doing what in the in your community and see what really resonates with you, you know, who are the people that you bond with, the people that you trust, you know, and the people that are throwing events with good intentions, that's like super huge. Um, you don't want to get involved with like people that are doing more dark arts with music and, you know, they're out there and whatever. So mm -hmm. um, if you steer clear of that, I mean, it's basically that, you know, you find a good pocket, you nurture that, you know, and, and do your best to contribute to that being a good thing and help it grow. And that's pretty much all I did. Like, I just, you know, I was I kept my ears and eyes open, you know, and was, uh, I feel like I'm a good judge of character. And I kind of just, I worked with the people that were, you know, they were, they were, weren't just acquaintances. They were friends, like I said. So I built and developed relationships with these people before I really like, you know, I didn't even actually have to ask to be put on. They just were like, we're putting you on, you know, oh, you want to do this? So it just became like, it just went really fast, you know, especially after that initial show in 2001, like, People knew that I had performed in a, you know, in a big venue, a successful this and that. People talked about it, you know, enough that people knew about it. So I had good. That was like my only referral, honestly. You know. Yeah. So yeah. So you, more would you say that it's, it's about putting the relationship first, right? Put, yeah. You're not even trying first. to sell yourself as a DJ to try to. I never get a did. Show. I yeah. never did. No, no, I never really did do that angle. So I mean, that is a different time too. It wasn't like you know, here's here's my Twitter or Facebook and like check me out doing this, you know, or YouTube or anything. This was like pre any of that. So it was really just about those connections you made with the people that were in the scene and then cultivating it with them, you know, and being a part of it. So I mean, you can do the same thing digitally too online, but I mean Absolutely. that's how it was yeah. back then, you know. So 
just like going out to events, supporting events, you know, and checking in and just talking to people and asking intelligent questions and letting them know what you do and kind of that, you know, once you support, you support a scene, the, the scene will support you, you know, mm -hmm. so that's how yeah, it was yeah. back then. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that that has really changed. I think it's yeah. just that the way of communication has changed. Definitely. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more people, you know, to walk up to, like, say, a promoter at an event while it's going on and being like, hey, my name's this and that. I'm, you know, and <laughs> they're like, oh, great. They much would rather have the digital thing and be like, sure, I'll, I'll check you out or look at me, look at you on Instagram or something like that. You know? Yeah. You know, I think it's casual. become easier, actually. It, it is easier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. quicker, quicker and easier. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to um, shift gears around also set creation or planning for a show. Mm -hmm. uh, I share conversations with a lot of DJs. They have a lot of questions around that mm -hmm. of how do I know the right song to choose at the right time? Do you have any mm -hmm. advice to give around that? Well, nowadays, I mean, it's, I think about, I think about the people that are also performing. That's like number one, unless it's just a solo event for me, but I think about the other people that are going to be performing. What are they going to bring? Um, and I'm trying to bring something that, is not that <laughs> it's something that may hint hint to that be in the vein of that but definitely uh make my own presence felt within that restraint you know what i mean like so mm -hmm. if it's like a house house you know headliner or something or like a future base headliner sure i'm gonna have like a little bit of those elements in my set but i'm gonna branch off to something totally different and go into a different world because i don't i don't want to i don't want it to sound like this big long single style event right especially when it comes to me so mm -hmm. I wanted I wanted to be able to stand out. So I always would pick music that resonated with me on you know sonic levels and fun levels actually. So it had to be like uplifting musically. So I can't yeah. I didn't I didn't want to sound too dark or too hard or too angry or whatever. Like I, it could all be in there, but ultimately I wanted the music to be uplifting to everything and help carry the vibe up to the next performer or whatever mm -hmm. you know. So. It was like, it was kind of like that, you know, and I always try to pick music that definitely I liked a lot too. You know, I, I didn't really play stuff that was like, oh, the crowd's going to like that. It, it actually didn't matter if they'd never heard the music that I was going to play. Like I didn't have to play anything that they had a reference for. I mm -hmm. felt I didn't feel that pressure and you know, I always wanted to enlighten people with new music because I felt like that's what always happened to me. You know, when I go see a DJ, I'm like, oh, what is that? You know, and it's like, I heard this amazing thing. You know, I wanted to contribute to that be a part of that you know like the yeah branching out the growth the growth of it yeah definitely and what about getting comfortable on stage do you have any pointers around that hours and hours of practicing on your setup <laughs> you know in, in your bedroom yeah. in your in your studio. oh really like oh yeah just if you practice enough <laughs> it's going to become second nature i mean you're going to be using the same equipment so therefore it's no difference it's like sure there's going to be flashing lights and people screaming and drinks you know being drunk or whatever and all these distractions but ultimately if you have pure pure connection to the equipment you're using and the focus and you're connected to the music mm -hmm. it's the same it's the same thing so pretty much uh, just hours and hours of practicing you know so no your doubt. advice is to really you know practice a lot to really solidify that muscle memory on your setup definitely so yeah, and the comfortability in front of the crowd and you yeah. may be nervous your muscle yeah. memory will just kind of totally and, and also like if, when you're practicing at home and you're you know doing all of these things and it's not like you're not like you're practicing your set over and over and over 
you're just doing the art of mixing and DJing over and over, like for hours. So you're going to work out like the basic, like, you know, quick corrections, I think too, you know, like, cause if something, something's going to go off, it's like, you know, table could shake, your record could skip, whatever it is. You have to be able to correct it quick, quick enough that it's barely noticeable. Like you're definitely going to notice it and that's good. But if you are good at correcting and keeping it moving, then that's, that's what's up, you know, cause that's like one of those things that really throw off a set, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, it's about correction. It's about just being so comfortable with that and being ready for whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, let me ch- uh, change some gears here again. Uh, sure, sure. I know that your start mainly with well, DJing specifically started with hip hop. You used to study hip hop very intently. How have you seen hip hop kind of revolutionize over the years? Man, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny, like growing up in Detroit, like there was like definitely hip hop, you know, radio stations, like the TV station, even that played, you know, the midnight had like tons of rotation. One you could call in the magic box. You could call in and like, you know, dial a number and pick a song or whatever. And that was great. Like, so I got to be exposed to like all the new stuff, you know, as a kid, just in music video form too, which was great. Cause it was all, it was better than just regular syndicated TV really at that time. So, I mean, you know, the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the access to hip hop and stuff just grew and grew. Right. You know, especially like rap city happened on um, black entertainment TV. Mm-hmm. That was just it. I mean, cause you had everything West coast, East coast, international stuff. Like it was, great so that was that was really good exposure to just see you know because you get the visual of the art form and you get to hear the music yeah so i mean that was uh the the accessibility just kept growing you know and then to the point where when i got like around 20 years old then there was like you know books being written about it you know uh, vhs like documentaries coming out about it classic movies that were kind of the pivotal like style wars or wild style Mm -hmm. those movies came out and it was just like a complete slice of life of, of hip hop. So you could just see it. And it was just like, you know, wild style was more of a, you know, scripted type of thing, but it's based off of real people. But style wars was all based off of graffiti writers and stuff. And that was practically a documentary. It looked, you know, yeah. such a look to it. It was just so great. Um, so things wild like that. Style. I was, I was mainly studying wild style for the B-boy aspect. Cause my mm-hmm. start was actually more in break dancing and then oh, yeah. DJ over time. Okay. So nice. I, I wasn't even studying the DJs at that point in time. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 The breakdancing was definitely the first hip hop element. I, I gravitated to probably what third grade or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the kids just brought cardboard on the playground and we were just like going for it, trying to do the windmill or centipedes and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, was pretty, it was pretty fun. You know, we didn't have much, but we had that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's good. And what do you think hip hop's now? Like from, your show. Oh God, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, uh, media tool basically now. I mean, you, you know, you're selling anything from like fancy jewelry, designer clothes, cars, <laughs> liquor, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's funny. I remember back in like, even like the rap city days of BET when I was like you know, still in high school, first time I saw like a Sprite commercial or something come on and it was like, it said something to the effect that Sprite was like the, you know, the fifth element of hip hop or something like that. And I was like, <laughs> what? what are they even talking about? You know, and I was right. like, this is kind of funny, but 
at the same time, I was like, wow, it's getting popular. And then even later on, a few years later, there's like scratching. I could hear scratching underneath every commercial almost. I swear it was like on the radio or maybe on like you know, commercials on TV. It was like some scratching or something for like big name brands, you know? And it's like, that's interesting. Like, yeah. Like hip hop in the background. <laughs> so I don't know. You just notice it become more of a like a media tool, you know, where it got embraced more and not seemed to such a, like a rogue art form that was kind of like, you know, for the dirty kids in the city that were just, you know, going crazy or whatever. But, you know, it was like, it became more presentable and especially once it started making more money, you know, they were definitely like, okay, these big brands and things are like, well, we'll invest, we'll invest in that. Yeah. Yeah. We want that attention too. We want that demographic to look at our stuff and be like, yeah, this is cool. And, you know, so it's, it's a lot different that way, you know? Yeah. Good and bad. From my perspective, (laughs) I feel like I've noticed it multiple times, even in the EDM world, right. It's just Mm -hmm. like, it starts underground and then it kind of, you know, takes shape and starts getting mm. mass popularity. And that's where yeah. it turns commercial. You, as you can say yeah. that about dubstep, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that, that's sure. a perfect example. They had a really quick peak <laughs> and dip, but like, you know, hip hop was a real gradual, like, Oh, you know, it became right. like pop, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just remained there forever. And I mean, it still is there in most respects. It's still like, yeah, it it's crazy really how long out of the it's box. Been too, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, even like artists like Doja Cat, you know, where they sing, but they also rap. You know, the rapping part is really real, and it's still relevant. You know, it still is you know, functioning. So it's making a lot of money. Jay Z, yeah, yeah. maybe not so much now, but I mean, he did his thing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so definitely, obvious. definitely. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy to watch all that, honestly, because I, I remember watching it from the from the beginning. You know. Wu-Tang was king, you know, Wu-Tang was like it. And then, you know, all of that, that was like as corporate and big as you think it was getting at the time. And then after a short time after that, it just boom, blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah. What are some challenges that you faced in your DJ career and how have you overcome them? Um, I mean, basic insecurities, you know, it's just being different, having a different taste or outlook on, music or something like that you know just being like i'm different than them and because and I, I wanted to be but I also at the same time i was like man you know i don't really fit in are they going to think think of me in a funny way because i'm not trying to be like what's normally going on you know but mm-hmm. i guess it's just the courage to just be yourself you know trust the fact that you're important and if you love music and you love the people you're playing for then it's going to be received well and you know just go for that like you know, don't really don't really think too much about what other people are thinking about you. Cause like, there's always going to be, especially when you're doing hip hop stuff, like, I mean, you know, it's always going to be some really crazy ill DJs in the crowd. Probably you don't know who they are. They're there hearing your set, but you still got to jump up there and you got to break it down, you know, <laughs> and put it all yeah. down for, you know, whether or not. So, you know, there's always, there's always basically like, there's always somebody richer or somebody prettier or something, you know, just embrace it. Because you're you're the you're the richer one and the prettier one or whatever to, to other people too. And it's just like just embrace it because it kind of doesn't really matter after a certain point, you know. Everybody's at yeah. a different level and it's okay, you know. So it's like getting over that part and not like not bringing my ego to it was the best thing for me, you know, just being free and being like, I'm I'm free, I'm gonna have fun and I'm gonna share that fun with y'all. No questions asked, you know, and that's it. I'm just gonna go off and hopefully you like it. So that's kind of it, you know, just having that self-confidence and being like, yeah, there's nothing that, 
nothing bad's going to happen as long as technically it's all on point. I'm mixing, everything's on beat, you know, <laughs> and that's it. You know, you step off the stage and people had a good time and good. And that's it. So, yeah. I love those encouraging words. I'm sure that you who's listening right now are, are super inspired by those words because uh, we all fight imposter syndrome. We all have self doubts and the, that, you know, that annoying voice in our head that's just kind of chatting, chatting away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would agree with you, Ty. Like there's been multiple times where, like you said, like, you know, more, more handsome, more capable, uh, richer, or has more connections or whatever else. And really you, as you kind of graduate to the next level, you start acquiring more wealth, more connections, more whatever, right? Popularity. True, true, yeah. Popularity could be kind of, you know, summed up to handsomeness, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> well, let's yeah, call yeah. like, yeah, popularity, right? <laughs> like desire. Definitely, yeah. But there's so many levels to this game. And it's not just in DJing, but in life in general, that whatever level you graduate or level up to, there's always a level above you of another person you can compare yourself to. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Love there's it. Nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody plays their part. And in, in basically we're always growing and changing and evolving. You know? Yeah. So it's just being aware and being opening or excuse me, open to these things. So then, you know, like where it's going, where can you take it now? You don't have to be the same style you had last time. You could change it up and, you know, develop a new style, you know, like, so it's like just feeling comfortable really. And so getting to that point, I believe is just, it's just acquired with time, you know, it's really spending time and devoting yourself to, to the craft and mm-hmm. keep mm-hmm. going. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm curious to find out what's cool virtual up to nowadays, like what shows are coming up. Ah. Well, cool. Virtual is, uh, I'll definitely be performing at, uh, Northern nights this year. That's a big music ha- festival. Yeah, that was happening this July. I think it's the 16th to the 18th. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. We had a couple years off. Um, normally, I would we'll play it every, yeah. every yeah, yeah. I would normally I'd play it every other year. Um, just because I'm like a resident DJ. That's a world famous production plus a few other conglomerates from the Bay. Um, but yeah, I'm really close with those guys, and um, it's it's just like a fun weekend out it's hot and nice it's on the river so it's like mm-hmm. an outdoor thing it's uh, got a lot of workshops lots of different food and stuff there so it's like you know it's it's a good fun kind of crazy party weekend you know um so that's coming up uh, i've been keeping it chill you know honestly i've been studying a lot of different stuff uh working on uh you know crafting uh faceting which is kind of like a turntable that cuts diamonds and rubies and gems and it's a lot of mass involved in that. So just kind of been studying that a bunch, you know, but um, other than that, yeah, I'm just like really hoping to uh, do more DJ work and, and other, and other avenues, honestly, you know? Yeah. Okay. And in regards to the Northern Nights music festival uh, for the DJ, that's curious. You mind give, giving them insight on, you know, what music genres to, you know, uh, expect what's the overall vibe out there. How can they get their tickets or find out more information? Yeah, it's pretty diverse. I mean, you go to northernnights.org and check them out. I mean, they have like tickets up now. They have glamping, they have VIP, you know, all types of levels, entry, general entry. Um, the music there is fairly diverse. Yeah. So, um, you know, the last two previous years that they did, it was a lot of like deep house, 
were like headlining the stages. They even had like crews take over the, the main stage for like the whole night, you know, um, even maybe Friday and Saturday nights. So it was like you know, five hours or something of like a crew going, which is interesting and really good because they got into some different stuff. But, you know, it's been all over the place, really like, you know, Mr. Carmack has played there several times, you know, Zoo played, you know, headlined. So it's a lot, a lot of like bass music, really, because like they're bringing out world class, like void sound systems. And I mean, like multiple systems. So the sounds, the sound quality there is going to be like it'll dwarf most festivals that you've been to as far as like clarity and how good it sounds. And, um, so that's what they kind of specialize in is the the sound and the stage lighting and the stage main stage is amazing. There's also multiple stages set up in different areas. Um, it's real inviting, you know, it's, it's, it's casual, you know, you're outside, it's camping mostly, you know, so it's, uh, but it's, it's, it's nice. It's high end, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. It's got world-class sound when you go there. So it's, it's worth yeah. it for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, for the DJ that may be interested, you know, go ahead and get your tickets. We're not even affiliated, like in the sense of that we're getting a kickback here. Uh, it's just a really, uh, you know, uh, yeah, support that's just flow. my family. Yeah, yeah, world exactly. famous productions. Sure. My family, you know, for like fifteen years. So, they, you know, they know, <laughs> they know what I'm talking about. Them, they, they know it's coming from the heart, and I got like nothing but love for that crew. So, yeah, if you want to meet Quo in in person, you know, he'll be out there uh, this year yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Well, um, again, thank you so much for spending so much time with me. Um, not just, just in this podcast episode, but over the years. Uh, and just, again, uh, I just want to let all you DJs know, like this person has had a massive impact to me. Um, I don't think I would be here, uh, in this industry still, if I, if it weren't for, uh, Ty, AKA Cole Virtua, um, showing me the ropes because again, I walked away from DJing, right? So he, he was the one who actually inspired that help again to, to give it another shot. And from that, you know, stemmed, uh, you know, starting a DJ company that now serves hundreds of events per year. I mean, we've done well over a thousand events now, actually it's approaching like over 2000 events now. Um, in addition to that, you know, with, uh, founding DJ university to impact, uh, the DJ industry in a positive way. All that wouldn't have happened uh, if, you know, it's, it's interesting, like how life works, right? How certain mm-hmm. people just have that impact and they're, they're not even aware of it. I don't even think, Ty, you were aware of the, the massive impact that you had on my life. So I just want to say again, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you. Um, how can you let the listeners know uh, ways to get in contact with you or if they want to find out more uh, oh, about you? I mean, definitely, you know, Covertua at gmail.com, uh, Covertua at uh, IG, you know, Instagram and Twitter. So basically, yeah, I'm easy to get a hold of. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, for you uh, listening out there, I, I want to give you a little surprise. Uh, Ty, I actually, you know, of course, since we connected and since he's been a, a mentor of mine, I thought, man, you'd be such a great like mentor to other DJs. Would you be interested in getting involved with DJ University in our community? And uh, he's he's agreed to it. He's agreed to connect with you uh, inside our community and uh, help you out as well. So uh, anybody who is a current member of the DG University Network, um, you're, you're already seeing his name in there. Um, any of, the, of those that uh, wanna connect as well, of course you can reach out to him via social media, but if you do end up um, investing in yourself, but also joining the DG University membership, then you'll be able to connect with him as well. And all of us really. Uh, yeah, yeah. my name my name's Domu, Domu Cuts <laughs> on uh, DJ University, so D-O-M-U. 
a man of many aliases. <laughs> yeah, man. Staying elusive, you know, anonymity is kind of worth money, actually, I think. So. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick or something, right? Definitely. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so much again, man. Hey, thank you so much, too, for having me on here, man. I really appreciate it. It was great to, great to connect and talk about these, these memories, man. It's, you know, 2001 was a little bit ago, so we're going even pretty far back there, you know. So it's nice to talk about those things. You know, it's good to see you. We hope this episode provided you with incredible value. Please leave us a review so we can learn from your feedback on ways to improve. Subscribe to the podcast and be notified when the next episode drops. Lastly, don't just listen to this podcast. Take massive imperfect action.